like find out what you're good at and just go insanely hard at it yeah um, yeah right there's gonna be someone waking up with more money than you more energy than you uh that wants what you have and they are going to take it from you if you don't stay focused on what you're doing so. hey everybody welcome to the d5 mafia podcast today we are here with a very special guest jack butcher from Visualize Value or the creator of Visualize Value, I should say. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. I'm here with Dylan and Mike as well. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me on, boys. Appreciate it. Yeah, a little, uh, little extra kicker just to, uh, for context for our audience. Yeah, Jack is actually uh, a little bit of family. Uh, my uh, second cousin, uh, Jack, is uh, her husband. So uh, just just uh, wanted to throw that out. That's why there we were go. able Listen, to, it, it, able it to get we're the mafia yeah. we got the family ties you know it all it all works well together exactly um, so thank you jack for coming on short notice we appreciate you man 100%. and and uh yeah also nice to have somebody in the family who's incredibly experienced in the crypto world specifically with the nft side of things so a lot of good stuff to chat about today and uh some stuff that you know our group is a little less uh in touch with on that side of things so excited to, to learn more so anyways yeah right. so to start out, like, let's just give a little background and visualize value, kind of how it started, what you're like, when did, when did you make the very first one? And like, how did that start? So it must have been around January 2018, I think. So we're about, about just past three years in now. Um, and the, sh the long story short is I started a graphic design career out of school worked in New York in a bunch of agencies for eight, nine years, something like that. And then um, started my own agency, went reasonably well, but got burned out really fast, sort of doing everything for everyone, you know, uh, jack of all trades, creative shop, and then just identified this one really specific thing, which actually came from producing pitch decks. So basically selling ideas into Fortune 500 brands. I recognized like, oh, this part of the process is the most enjoyable and the one that comes most naturally to me, essentially like telling the story visually. And then I used, initially started Visualize Value as a lead generation tool for a service business to help people visualize their ideas. And then this was like early into my Twitter journey. I started uh, figuring out that like the open network nature of Twitter. And when I, when I kind of took an idea from somebody who had a much bigger audience than I did, helped add some context to that idea, they would then amplify it. And it just uh, completely switched the business model in my mind. So I started making products and uh, grew a, a decent sized community around it. And then with the advent of NFTs, well, at least the introduction of myself to NFTs in early what is it now? 20. So it would have been early 2021. A lot of people in the visualized value community were like, Hey man, you should look at NFTs, right? This is such a natural fit. You've been making digital art for X amount of time already. And, uh, when I first looked at the marketplaces, I was like, what is this? I have no idea what's going on here. And this was probably early, sorry, late 2020 at that point. So if I'd have paid more attention when they first told me, I would have been a very different situation right now buying crypto punks at, like 10 bucks, 15 bucks or something mm -hmm. back then. But when it, when I actually got into it, I think it was around March. The first one will be, if you go back a page and scroll to the bottom, that will be when the, when I minted the first one. Um, so it would, should have been around March. -ish. Is it this yeah. one? The chisel? That's the one. March 6, 2021. March 6. There you go. Yeah. It's on the chain. You got the proof. Yeah, there That's you still pretty early. I would oh, say yeah. March is still pretty yes. early as far as NFTs go. I don't think it really... It kind of had like a couple waves, right? You had like the early 2021, and then like the summer is when it completely blew up. Yeah. The pudgy and then, in July. yeah, that's yeah. Been, yeah, yeah. And then you obviously had this like January, February mega pop most recently. But yeah, yeah. so you got in, you got in pretty early. It's still, it's, it's still good. <clears throat> obviously, you've done well because this thing sold for 33 ETH, and it was your first NFT. So that's that's not bad. The old Genesis piece, as they call it, as I later yeah. found out. Yeah. Dude, no, that's so badass. Uh, actually, I have a question uh, that kind of dialing me back a little bit. Like you said, so you, you were in the advertising biz for like 10 years, you said almost? Yeah. Uh, pr prior. So like, what was the evolution of that? Like going from 
you know, I guess I imagine like kind of like a lot more TV based or and then a lot more social media based, uh, you know, the last five or six years, I imagine. So I don't know what I'm just curious, like, what was that sure. like? And like, yeah, so the first, first I, the first agency I joined was um, run by a guy who wrote the world's local bank you know that hsbc campaign that you see in airports it was like it's plastered on all jet runways and airports that's like super old school uh ad campaign tv print all of that stuff so the the basically the guy that i apprenticed under first was like old school advertising all round creative person so it's like design copywriting strategy marketing advertising like the whole yeah this is like um what was local bank if you put campaign in that search this is yeah that's the that's the the comparison between those two ideas um and they've run it for for years and years but he essentially wow. taught me like the combination of all these skills i came out of school as just a graphic designer and then a lot of my peers would have gone and done straight graphic design jobs, but I think the New York ad agency world sort of introduced me to the idea of um, you know, strategic writing and trying to like sell an idea more so than just like the artwork piece that I'd, I'd learned in school. And then over time, like that agency folded, he took a different job and I just bounced around all different agencies. The first one was like Ralph Lauren, did um, like some TV stuff, print stuff, in-store stuff. And mm. then the next place I worked was a big digital consultancy where you design like huge digital systems, like websites, e-com stores. This is before Shopify. So it's like brands spending 3 million bucks to yeah. build a store that now costs you 30 bucks a month. Yeah, crazy, yeah. Like crazy to think now what people would spend on that stuff. And they're obviously like, were pretty shit because they're not taking advantage of all the data across like thousands of stores yeah so yeah. i think just just being exposed to all of that like early internet stuff and i say early this is like early 2010s ish mm -hmm. so there was definitely mm -hmm. plenty that happened before that but um then i bounced I, I worked at an agency that did like physical installations in retail so like they would do you, you go to like a nike store and they have these like crazy lights and interactive screens and all that stuff so i worked a little bit with that and then um the agency i started was actually a like the the big uh client we had was a big italian supercar manufacturer i can't say which one but that was the like the jump off point to do my own thing and you just quickly realize like as a small even as a small team it wasn't even a small team it was just me to begin with like you have to absorb all of the inefficiency of a fortune 500 company that's in a different time zone than you you wake up and they already sent you 25 emails it's like what am i doing here like i have to either hire 12 people to deal with all this complexity or like just keep pretending that i am all 12 people which is what i did in my like mid-20s when i had the energy for it but i don't have that anymore so then, yeah, just evolving out of the like working with a, a business of a, at a scale that just didn't operate the same way as me into like freelancer and then sort of adding a bit more leverage to the freelance model by building a, a brand. And now crypto and NFTs have kind of opened me up to, they've opened me up to some different ways to deploy that skill set. But also once the brand gets to a certain size, your opportunity set shifts as well, like partnerships and, you know, people you can collaborate with. And once you have the ability to reach a couple hundred thousand people, you can also try and fail at a lot of different stuff on the product side. So it's been a cool um, set of experiences and probably had 12 jobs since I graduated school to now. So when you start Visualize Value like three years ago, how long until you realized you kind of had something? It was probably on the, on the service side. I knew I had something before I, before I started posting on Twitter. It was like people in my, like, so when I started my, uh, when I started my agency, I would like build, uh, put content out on Facebook. 
And as you know, Facebook is like a totally different type of network than Twitter. It doesn't like content doesn't spread in the same way organically. Right. Right? It's like kids you went to school with, maybe some people you used to work with, your parents, their friends. It's like a really odd place to promote your business. Facebook is so cringe. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't really come outside of the Farmville, right. you know, local right. network. And then, uh, but even that, I managed to get a few, few clients, a few like introductions to people that just, this, I think the skill set of explaining something concisely is such a like widely applicable thing. And then when you marry that with a style that resonates with people, they just kind of point to it and say, I want that, but for the thing that I do. And that I think was the, like the first time I got it. And then the real, the second time was when um, Nassim Taleb retweeted some a graphic mm. I did of one of his quotes. I remember waking up and the Twitter notifications tab is just going like bananas. Right. Right. Something just clicked in my head. Um, and I also got a shout out. Um, the Naval Ravikant. I was going to say, I think that's how I found you. It was through Naval. I think yeah, uh, he's uh, like, I'd been in the service business world for so long charging like time and materials. And you like project out how much you can realistically make in that world. And you can make a nice living, but there's obviously a, a a very hard cap on how many hours you can put in, how many talented people you can hire. And, you know, not to say that that's not a cap in a lot of businesses, but where I was is like, I'm not, I can't develop people in the same way. Uh, I don't want to build a massive team. So I stumbled across Naval's original tweet thread, which is titled how to get rich without getting lucky. This right. guy's obviously OG Silicon Valley knows technology companies has been working like with internet businesses for a really long time. And some of the principles that he outlined in that, yeah, he's got it pinned on his profile. Yeah. Some of the principles he outlined in that were just like, you know, when you kind of, I like to uh, compare it to when you find out that Santa isn't real, <laughs> like an, an idea just snaps in your head and it's like, you can't go backwards. Right. There's five or 10 concepts in this tweet storm that, that get to that. A lot of them around the concept of like whoever does something the best on the internet gets to do it for everyone. Um, right. You know, earn with like your intellectual capital, not by charging people by the like charging by the hour. Uh, there's a, if you haven't read it and you're listening or watching, you should definitely go and read it. And then a weird like couple year, uh, I didn't at first I was like picking out an idea here and there, like the one you have um, up on the screen now. Right. And then I actually got to illustrate a book that someone compiled of his ideas. The Almanac, right? The Almanac, yeah. So shout out to uh, Eric Jorgensen who compiled that. And uh, that was kind of a surreal full circle moment where the inspiration that I got to at least take the visualized value in the direction I took it was um, kind of distilled back into this uh, into this book that contained the ideas that were a huge part of the inspiration for sure yeah you know for me you know what the biggest one that opened my eyes when i read that thread was uh that he made a great point was he's like you know if you start a restaurant or a software company it's probably going to be about the same amount of work except the upside of a successful <laughs> restaurant is maybe you make a few hundred grand this upside of a software company is you're a billionaire you know and it's like when that you, was like mind-blowing to me when, like, you yeah. frame it, when you frame it that way it's just insane like i mean it's you like, know obviously people have their skill sets not everybody can be a software engineer right but like it is, it, you know, yeah, it's a, I, I'm a very, you know, probabilistic risk reward type thinker. So when you favorite like that, it's just like, wow, I could never start a restaurant. Eh? Yeah. yeah. He, um, <laughs> one of his, his follow on points from that was competing without software is like competing without electricity. Right. And that's another thing where it's just like, wow, yeah, absolutely right. Like I woke up every day with a clean slate. There's no equity in the thing I'm building outside of like, the three people who are currently working with me as clients. So ton of lessons learned from that for sure. So when you're doing one of these uh, drawings, how long does it normally take to do one? Not long. A lot of the pro, a lot of it is just like thinking subconsciously like accruing and then it's like, okay, I got the thing or I read something and then the image just pops up and the actual like visual articulation of it can take 30 seconds if it's simple enough. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a couple of iterations of it. Um, 
but yeah the, because the constraints exist which is another sort of thing i discovered in hindsight where as a graphic designer in a commercial setting you have to follow the rules of the brand that hired you right there's an 80 page book it's like use this color use this typeface this is the tone of voice blah 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 and i i guess kind of subconsciously applied that to visualize value where um black canvas white graphics in the same thickness the sorry the line thickness is the same on everything vector and that just cuts out all the time you start you spend staring at a blank canvas usually right. like picking out typefaces or color schemes or images it just forces this constraint upon you that um yeah just drastically reduces the amount of time you spend on basically superfluous decisions and it's become it focuses all your energy on communicating the concept which is i think what's been the underlying strength of the uh like the narrative throughout the evolution of visualized value and even i look back at the earliest ones i'm like they're pretty weak in comparison to now and hopefully in a couple of years time i'll feel the same way about the stuff that's being published now it's been because you would imagine or i i would imagine like okay you're going to run out of the ability to innovate right but that's kind of like saying you know give someone a pen and a blank sheet of paper like nobody's going to write a better story than the last person who wrote and it's obviously not true so the constraint has been huge right um yeah so on the like okay when you started on twitter that's a good question because i think a lot of people try to growth hack on twitter were there any specific tricks you used or was it just putting out a ton of stuff and it kind of just happened organically consistency was definitely part of it um at the beginning i was doing like five six pieces a day and i think that wow. and i think that visual consistency makes a huge difference too where you know there's like a subconscious there's like this equity building up in the black and white image like before someone's even read the caption or looked at it it's like oh that's another visualized value thing yeah th there's and jack suite today there's one of jack suites yeah i totally i think that was helpful for sure and then yeah. The thing that I like retroactively called reverse influence, which is like getting the attention of people that are a hundred times bigger than you. Mm -hmm. But it was also doing that in a window of time where not a lot of other people were using that strategy specifically with visuals. Cause now you'll see a good amount more of that because of, that's how markets work, right? Someone sees it working and then they're like six months out. Guess good in the NFT world with that too, right? It's like someone comes up with, 10,000 profile pictures, then the inevitable three months of people in basements, like copying the thing. And then they all come out at the same time. So I think the like tastefully leveraging other people's followings is a huge one, making other people look good, essentially, like here's an idea that I thought was profound enough that I'm going to spend time illustrating it for free. Um, that was one piece. And then a little bit later on, I kind of had this I use visualized value to kind of grow my own account. So I kind of just like filter myself into that feed gradually, right. like A, B test ideas. So I would tweet an idea from my personal account, then I would illustrate it with visualized value. And one last point I would make is when I was experimenting with the product side of things, I was completely, I was so transparent with the sales. So when I started like selling digital product, I would tweet the Shopify dashboard out and be like, here's the performance of the store this week, this month, et cetera. And um, that again was hugely like people just, I think love to see that because it's again, scarce content. Not everybody is uh, tweeting out their sales numbers on a weekly basis. Um, those are three things I think were pretty instrumental. And then, consistency being uh being the sort of underlying thing just just keep going man carrying on how many how many do you scrap when you come with these ideas how many do you not post a good amount like i'll i think over time i've gotten to a point where i can see like i can sort of un or guess at least guesstimate the idea's resonance and then i would maybe do like post one in two now and back then maybe one in 
five. But also the bar has gotten higher with time. So right. when I was starting out, it was just true volume game. Like I wasn't as critical. And then I think the luxury you get at scale is you don't have to be doing 10 a day to get people's attention. You already have access. So quality kind of, you know, the, the, the seesaw shifts a little bit where you put more priority on everything being uh, of a certain quality versus like aggressively testing every single thing. Because there is definitely a disparity between the stuff you think is going to be the stuff you think is going to do amazingly well and the stuff that does is often like not, I can't predict it. My favorites don't necessarily perform the best. Right, right, right. So your main focus when you started, so it was mainly Twitter, right? Did you see, I remember, I remember like finding the account off Instagram. It was at like 10,000. And then I didn't even, I was, that was like my main source of like, just checking in and like seeing all this stuff. Did you, find that like there was any added benefit from using instagram versus twitter or like twitter versus instagram and then did you see any like you know like for like lead gen for example like did you find like instagram was better or, like what's twitter um did it end up being like your main source of just like pretty much everything all the value derived from creating your brand yeah good question so i think monetarily twitter has been like maybe nine to one outweighs Instagram. I think that's like a demographic and psychographic thing. So Twitter, I think skews like older people with disposable income. I tapped in specifically to like, you know, the Navals, the Talebs of the world that probably have followers that aren't your typical Instagram user. And the network effects of Twitter, I think really helped like the value is much more concentrated on right. Twitter. And I think people are there to at least tell themselves that they're there to like learn or get access to information versus Instagram, I think is more of the like mindless scroll, um, lifestyle-y. Um, I think the commerce component of Instagram definitely leans more like lifestyle, you know, people sell makeup and clothes and that kind of stuff. Um, and but twi but instagram has definitely been more fruitful on the like partnership side so brands that have reached out like that wouldn't you know maybe wouldn't even have a presence on twitter have reached out through instagram and there's definitely like a lot of uh sort of cultural clout in the scale of the instagram following too right, when you right. meet people in person that's what they check first. Exactly. Right? And, yeah, and yeah. That, yeah. That's true. kind of, it has all these intangible benefits, but like, as if you're looking at the numbers, Twitter is like by far and away more of a like revenue driver for sure. No, and I like the point that it's just, it's just substantially better for networking. It's kind of just like the vibe or like the brand of it. Like, uh, you know, it's, again, Instagram is kind of being mindless scrolling versus Twitter being a lot more right. informational. So. It's I interesting because you have you have a hundred thousand more followers on Instagram than you do Twitter, but you make you know ten times as much on Twitter. Yeah. That kind of yeah. tells you the the audience value difference there. All you need to know, yeah, and that maybe yeah. like the longer game you could kind of justify with an Instagram, where um, I, you know, in the coming months and years, based on what we're working on now, hopefully that we can build product that is more in line with the desires of the uh instagram audience but it's um like you know take some of the web3 concepts for example and move them from uh instagram sorry twitter to instagram and they just like basically fall on deaf ears mm -hmm. and it's just like it's pretty remarkable how different the culture is or how much like more overwhelmed the the instagram the the way a post can be received on those two de different networks can be like drastically different just based on like you say the vibe of the two platforms and education being at least what people i think believe they're using twitter for versus instagram is more of an escape or a 
uh, right. just like a no-brainer scrolling thing. Let's talk Web3 for a bit. Like, actually, speaking of Instagram, Zuckerberg just came out and said like a day or two ago that they're going to start really pushing NFTs on Instagram and maybe even having people mint uh, or yeah. something like that. I'm not sure exactly the full details, but um, I saw that too, yeah. uh, maybe that will be when you really see the growth on, on the Instagram side. But like as far as Web3, so obviously you, you discover like a year ago now you realize, oh, this is probably the next big thing. How are you thinking about like building a Web3 brand, uh, if that makes sense? Yeah, I don't like initially I saw all these like different technologies and I've built community into the visualized value product from the beginning. So it wasn't, uh, you know, obviously wasn't executed with NFTs back in um, 2018, 2019 when I was getting going. Mm -hmm. And I think the one like pivoting the business model to web three is not something that's particular, like hasn't struck me as something that I would change drastically what I'm doing, because I think there was this moment in time where just the hype of the space kind of put the economics of a business that was operating in a different world like out of whack, you know, people just all of a sudden thought they could charge a hundred times more for whatever right, it was right. they're doing because it's on Ethereum or something, which is just a mental yeah. thesis, right? Like it's just not going to, not going to sustain over a long period of time. I think where it, like visualized value can contribute specifically to web three is like a lot of the concepts that even Naval talked about in the tweet storm that we referenced earlier this is kind of some of those internet economy ideas on steroids. So like explaining some of those concepts visually has been uh, a way I think to include the things that people are interested in, in the moment in the visualized value brand, which I think gives it a little bit of an edge too, where you know, the different directions and the different interests that the market takes at large, especially like around, like internet commerce, which is essentially what visualized value was built around and what the products that we initially built were talking about. There's a, just a natural fit or a natural evolution. I don't think turning it into like, we are a web three brand. Like we only service mm -hmm. the people who care about web three is something that ever occurred to me. And I think maybe there'll be somebody who executes it well, but it's like, it's almost like, um, we're so early in this world that people have gotten so wrapped up in the buzzword of web three in the same way that like, if you started a business that was about the internet, it's just like, you don't stand for anything. It doesn't mean anything. Right. So right, right. that's definitely been something to kind of contend with all while like being wrapped up in that stuff personally, like the NFT, I was making NFTs last year. I was buying NFTs last year and there's, it's, you could, easily get carried away by the feedback you're getting from the market when you're in this like euphoric moment where you're like i'm dropping everything we're doing web three now whatever the hell that means right and there's plenty of people that yeah. made that announcement that, that, that was me in like august september last year and then i was like okay i can't just do this all the time now. i gotta i gotta chill out <laughs> so that's that's how we met that's how all of us met. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great i mean it's definitely uh like it's definitely been a I kind of watched it from a from the community perspective in visualized value too. So I had two two thousand people in this Discord community before I knew what an NFT was, and just watching people's focus shift to this world just at scale. Right, there's people that yeah. were building businesses, had like SaaS products that worked, had um, you know education companies that they've been building. Then all of a sudden, their profile picture changes to a monkey, and they're like in. Um, <laughs> you know, just in the NFT channel, just like shilling these like mint websites. And it's like, yeah, balls deep man, in 25 this is definitely not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so what do you think about all the big brands rushing into crypto? Because I mean, there's an NFT specifically, because there's been like, I mean, you've seen like Bud Light, seen Coachella, and all these different brands trying to capitalize on a lot of the hype. Do you think that so I guess one, like, what do you think about all these brands pivoting and trying to have a Web3 strategy? And then do you think that it's sustainable or do you think we're like what people are, what companies are doing now? Or do you think there's going to be like a different trend 
uh, of like what a lot of these companies end up doing. You have like warps or not warps, um, like artifact being acquired by Nike, for example, versus like yeah, that them was, just starting it themselves. There's yeah, I think like people have been getting involved and signaling different levels of commitment. Like I think the artifact acquisition is like we're in this properly, and even you know the visual that's pulled up now, the way Adidas entered the space, like collaborating with collections that already had product market fit, and you think about the people that are consuming the like Ford Ape brand and the people that are passionate about that and the brands that they grew up around and the things that they already own and care about. There is some, there, well, there are some brands where it just makes complete sense to expand. Like you already have this cultural relevance in this really adjacent space. I think like streetwear being maybe one of the closest hmm. parallels totally, in the yeah. real world. Cause it's like you have drop culture, you have, collectibles you have fashion and like obviously this is all about signaling and a couple of the brands that have yeah. done it really well obviously literally, fashion brands literally the way i describe like friends who like the friends i got to mint stuff uh for the first time was just like oh dude it's just a supreme drop yeah yeah, yeah. that's how i describe it to them so. yeah and th this is like i think this announcement in particular the that they put this brand like on at that level with right. the you know the other three like flagship nike brands converse jordan and then artifact on the right hand side was like they're not messing about and also right. they didn't like they didn't build that business either so there is some uh you know there is some room to be skeptical as well or it's like you you just bought this thing that's clearly printing money like all of the issues you have with like supply chains and there's plenty of ethical uh areas to be explored in the you know the production of sneakers and this is uh it's like a almost an easy win for them right i'm sure they yeah. um i'm sure they spent a decent amount of money on it but there was there's like this i guess it's like a cultural arbitrage opportunity for them where they're so enormous that they can make what is a really substantial offer to a team that's been building for a couple of years and has like a really pristine reputation in the space and it aligns really naturally with what they already do so i think we're yet to see like more than a handful of people do it really elegantly i think the bud light example that you reference is another one that's like kind of interesting because they went about it a little differently the nouns uh like their affiliation with the nouns project i don't know how deeply you guys um yeah they had they like in the super bowl right they had the little easter egg they had they the nouns glasses right if yeah, people knew they knew but if they didn't it was just like oh whatever right which like, i think again is a cool nod like you, right. you, they didn't go like well they did drop an nft i don't know too much about what they dropped but the idea they bought beer.eth they um right. bought the beer head noun um it it's kind of Having been in environments where um, it takes nine months to make a decision about what color to put on, uh, you know, the backdrop of a pack, a, like a piece of packaging, the brands that have been able to act on this quickly and like get it in a Super Bowl commercial definitely speaks to like the, you know, the level of trust or the like commitment to the space early on. Like the people that are going to be coming out in six months from now a year from now and doing things that obviously were being talked about last year are gonna look way more like they're just trying to ride the wave right and i think right. even the native projects are struggling to catch momentum at this point like brands that are building that aren't um and you shouldn't even say brands like projects that are coming out now that are clearly like crypto native teams are struggling to sell out like reasonably small projects because the saturation point has been reached and surpassed for quite a quite a while now. So brands are going to have to be a lot more thoughtful, I think, to to um, get the attention and to like basically suck liquidity out of the ecosystem too, right? And I think just a couple of bad executions puts so many people off and it makes way more sense for you to like stand back as a brand right now and be like how can we do this in a really elegant 
uh, like yeah. additive way. And there's still like to the point before of like, how can you be a web three native brand? There's still like a lot of huge open questions around like the deficit between what you're paying for something and what a brand can actually give you. Like, right. like Nike's maybe a good example. It's like a, um, a pair of sneakers. People are like fairly comfortable paying high three, low four figures for sneakers in some cases. Whereas Bud Light, it's like you've never spent more than like right. 15 bucks on a pack of Bud Light. And like, why would you spend thousands of dollars for membership to a Bud Light program of any sort? It's very hard value prop to demonstrate. Even the native Web3 communities have like, you have to maintain this air of like, um, there's this huge intangible value to being a part of this thing and the future is uncertain and who knows what we're going to do it's going to be the craziest thing ever right but right when you start to bring that into the real world i went to nft new york and it's like you realize this thing you pay like this worth 300 grand 400 grand is basically getting you into a 15 dollar a night nightclub, <laughs> right right so the disparity is just enormous and i think especially in a world where you're if you're coming at it from a place where people already know what your stuff costs or like what your brand produces it's much harder to like it's much harder to take advantage of that moment in time where people are speculating to a massive degree based on like an uncertain future which i think is happening in a lot of these or at least a few of the select communities where you see these really outsized valuations yeah, yeah. For for me, like we've talked about this on podcast before. I think someone is gonna come out with the first like hundred thousand plus collection that's way cheaper and it's for the masses. And obviously, it probably won't be on Ethereum like layer one because of gas fees, but maybe on Arbitrum or Solana or something where it's cheaper. Um, actually, you know, Jordan is partner with Solana now, and uh, they're doing some collection. So maybe they could do that, right? Maybe they could have something that's like you know, 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, and it's, you know, 50,000 of them or something. You know, if there's a brand that could pull it off, it could be Jordan or something. Oh, but I, I think that's, I'm very curious to see where that goes. Cause right now it's like 10 K is like, Oh, that's like the common, like mm -hmm. I know, um, um, the atom bomb squad is like 20 or 25 K or something. Yeah, yeah. And that's already considered like, well, that's a lot, you know, and that's, but really, I mean, these company like Nike has millions of customers, right. you know? So I mean, who's going to have the first million piece collection, right? Like that's, that's what I want to know. It's going to happen. It, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I like what you said about the culture arbitrage thing. It's like, you know, like you said, artifacts, a great example of the company coming in and doing it right and bringing in people who are native to the community. But it's like, you see brand like for example like uh what was it vape they start they announced the projects i think like a month or so ago mm -hmm. and they were just doing a classic 10k pfp yeah. art project and like i went to their instagram and i was just looking at the comments on the announcement and it was just like all of these people were just oh another company getting into nfts is trying <laughs> to suck money out and like all this stuff so people like people are realizing that there are cash grabs in it it's like it just shows that there's Kind of like that you said, like a cultural arbitrage where it could elevate you, but also can almost deteriorate your brand. Oh, yeah. People see that. Yeah, and and the like the the pop culture perception of NFTs is definitely not great. I'm sure you guys are well aware of that, right? If like you throw it into right. the wrong side of Twitter, you're getting eviscerated. Right. And yeah. like to change that narrative, I think it has to it has to almost uh be and the the technic the technical language has to fade into obscurity in some way, right? It just has to be yeah. like I'm using the internet, I'm on this thing, I you know, uh, this and is my a lot, pass. A lot of brands have aligned with themselves with that sort of culture as well, just it, it, as of late. Right, in general. right. No going back now, and like yeah. it will be part of the tech stack. It feels like you know, right. some like if you came out and said we will never sell our product on the internet in right, 2001 exactly. because like so many of these brands are doing it unethically or <laughs> the technology is rudimentary like it's just kind of a moronic statement to make and that's another kind of corporatization like a sort of symptom of corporatization right where there's somebody 
in a middle management layer or a PR position where it's just like, people don't like this. We better just come out and say, we'll never do it. Um, and that's in a lot of cases, a discord is a great example, right? Where they said they're exploring web three. Did you right. get the CEO tweeted out? We're going to like start exploring this and like make some functionality specific to this massive community of people that are using uh, our platform. And they just basically got eviscerated in public. Yeah. Like, okay, we're not going to do it. Yeah, um, all he said was, we're going to maybe make it so you can sign in with your ETH wallet. Yeah. And they got destroyed. Like, not even, I mean, that literally is like <laughs> literally pressing one button, you know, a yeah. signature. And it's like, oh, no, you're, you're evil now. That's it. Yeah. Literally, like, crypto like lives on Discord, too. It's crazy. Insane. oh yeah yeah oh yeah it's a it's a it's gonna be a hard thing to overcome i think but eventually it'll be like uh just you won't even know what like any good technology right or any like well-established technology is uh you don't need to know the uh, acronym for the technology. Exactly. I think NFT will be like the www dot right. of this era. Like no one says that anymore. It, like right. no, it's just implied. Yeah, we get it. You know, you don't yeah. need to say www dot. Right. But yeah, back then good. they did. That's so I think point. that'll be. Yeah. But like one um, thing that at least like it made me it clicked with me, and uh, I've explained this to other people, especially like like older people who, who kind of. Uh, want to understand it from a more practical perspective. Uh, so yeah, I was like, watch, this was like a bankless episode, like almost a year ago that Mark Cuban was on. And he explained uh, just like the simple example of, you know, they sell season tickets as the Dallas Mavericks and somebody sells their playoff game ticket for like the whole season pass, right? You know, that, to pay for the whole thing back. Um, but so let's say that ticket exchanges hands via, you know, uh, Facebook marketplace or outside the stadium, right? Hand to hand. Obviously the Mavs don't get their cut. So with an NFT, you know, they can charge their five, 10%, whatever. Yeah. Uh, each time, e each time it changes hands, not just the your initial sale. Uh, so uh, if it were to do so multiple times and, you know, when you just frame it like that and, you know, you can apply that to like a college textbook or a lot of other things. Uh, it's just like, that's free money. Businesses aren't going to leave on the table. They just have to figure it out. So uh, that was actually kind of like the initial light bulb, like back in March, 2021 for me, you know, I didn't like jump full in from there, mm -hmm. but it was like, Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Like that's too big to ignore. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And the like financialization of everything, like you can even imagine the, they're basically taking advantage of the extent of the network effects that they create. And like the technology just doesn't exist for you to like capture some of that value that's like leaking out right now. And that's, I think that the, the immutability or the, the ledger essentially is adding that functionality to everybody's um, business operations essentially. And brand is like this asset that is typically like all of the value capture kind of comes in the future and so much of it is really intangible. And I think this is just like an instrument to stay connected to a lot of that brand value you're capturing. And even like a Nike, you, I think StockX maybe got in trouble for this, but they were marrying up NFTs with the physical sneakers that they're holding in storage. Mm -hmm. And then you have this like incredibly liquid market for trading these physical goods and that obviously is more effective than somebody bidding 400 bucks, paying $80 postage, getting right. it back themselves, sending it back to StockX in a year or whatever it is they end up doing. And um, I think that piece is also why like Nike and Adidas entering the space makes sense because they create things that are like the increase in value over time. And a lot of brands don't necessarily do that and that's fine that's just a different economic model right they produce goods that people just consume and throw away or whatever they might do and that's why i think culture being this market where nfts have exploded that is really the reason why um something that people really really want to either hold on to or have a very high degree of confidence someone else is going to want more than you that's like the instrument 
NFTs have made that possible on, you know, and introduced liquid markets to that behavior, which is huge for a lot of brands and completely irrelevant for maybe even more. But we'll see over time what, what shakes out as a use case. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I don't know how far, like, I go, I go back and forth on like, how much should we financialize things? Like, just because you can, should yeah. you? You know, yeah. like, especially when you get into like social tokens and stuff like that, like that. that gets dystopian. You know, if everyone has a chart of their own value, I don't know if that's yeah. good for people. I don't you know? agree. I don't think you want a world where you can short people. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some uh, that creates some really perverse incentives too, right? When people right. can manipulate markets that way. But I've, I've had this conversation a few times with people who, know they could raise a bunch of money that way right mm -hmm. or they're like under monetized is the way they describe it but there's a lot of ways in which you can launch something like that in a way that just makes your life a living hell overnight right. like anybody that's doing a even an nft project that is reliant on a roadmap like you instantly have a thousand anonymous people in a discord hammering you every day like what's happening next how we're going to drive the value of this thing up and yeah, I 100% agree with you. Like this stuff is, you can really easily overextend yourself to a place where people want more from you than you can provide. And it's like the financialization of you as a person is probably not the cre most creative space to be in either, right? Especially if you're an right. artist or you make things for a living that require you to be, inspired and see the world in a certain way having this like consistent uh financial pressure is definitely not a way to maintain that headspace yeah yeah totally totally yeah it's it's kind of interesting because like the social token thing is interesting and then you have GameFi popping up and when people are trying to get into this because they can see they make a lot of money but in order to actually do something like that right you have to have such a strong background in finance and like creating these yeah. financial models where it's like Hey, dude, like that's not something you can just pick up and do, you know? So, um, no, that's a really interesting point you made. But yeah, that. I think, I think that, um, the game thing, particularly, right? Like, every all these projects, like, we're going to build a game, like, we're going to, like, in six months or 12 months, we're going to launch a game. It's like you vastly underestimate the skill set it takes to create a game that people actually want to play. Like, some of the, I mean, not some of them, every game studio that produces games that have like a shelf life longer than like five seconds on an, on like an internet window is like the, the talent they have to retain and the money they have to spend. And it's like that same point of the, it's the cultural arbitrage in a, in a dishonest way. Right. It's like, there's this phenomenon of call it play to earn where we have like this really cloudy vision of what the future might be and if we tap into this buzzword and release the right uh you know set of promises then we can essentially eat up all the interest in this buzzword in the short term and it's just incredibly difficult to execute on and the fact that the game studios that do this as their you know bread and butter and have done for a long time are taking a very measured approach to it should be you know a uh a sign for people developing games it's like okay maybe this isn't the easiest thing in the world to make this like economically rewarding and uh like amazingly fun to play thing uh i think i read a tweet about this where it's and this is similar to the discord pushback it's like the gaming community hates nfts largely because they play games to escape from their reality right and if you're essentially staring at your bank balance while you're playing a game. This kind of the opposite mentality that a lot of people have. And not to say that there won't be an entire new community built up around that idea of being like remunerated, but um, a lot of this stuff is just trying to force a behavior on people that is actually, uh, you know, kind of the magnetic opposite of the reason they're doing the thing they're doing in the first place. And this is maybe a classic like, technically minded person's interpretation of how everybody sees the world and it's more often than not uh you know normal people do not operate the way you operate or think right. the way you think or they're not reading naval's tweet storms and thinking it's the greatest thing they've ever seen
right? Right, right, right. right, right. It's like a focus on changing like what's working versus like supplementing to it. Because it's yes. like, oh, you can make this game where you can earn money, or you could just add in the text so people can, you know, like Fortnite skins, for example. So you don't have to keep rebuying these things, or like Call of Duty, where you don't have to keep buying these packs or whatever for every season or something like that. It's like, yeah, it make more way more sense just to do that, where people are like, oh. This is actually helping me in saving money versus I have to now think about this as a job. Like, but I think that's what that's the that's where it gets really difficult. Is that becomes the game? It's like if trading the skins becomes a profitable exercise, then it's like the game becomes the skins, and then the gameplay sort of. That, so that's why I think the balance is so uh, difficult to strike because even like the gamification of markets, right? Robinhood and even like crypto now. Right. It's like all of this. We're just basically playing a different video right, game, right, with right. a different in-game token. That's like uh, the joke, right? It's like crypto yeah. is the best video game, right? It's it's, it's the I mean, ultimate. That's exactly, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Magic yeah. poker to crypto, like natural transition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I wonder. There has to be a distinction between the like console gamers that never got the desire to move out of that world, mm-hmm. and then you know people who maybe just like competition in a very different context is what drives certain people and then i think crypto is a magnet for people like that so yeah i actually i think you had a nice point there which is like you have to have some sort of like the the gamers who want to play like you know i don't even know what people what people play with their friends like i guess like shooter games with their friends versus like somebody who wants to play a game competitively like yeah it's definitely two different mindsets yeah Um, and i think the other one the competitive one definitely obviously gears more towards markets so, uh, you know, 100%. Just, yeah, just throw that out there. <clears throat> um, all right. One final question for everybody out there listening. If you were starting from scratch today with visualized value, what would you do? What would your game plan be? Starting from scratch, meaning I had built the skill set to make the. Let's, yeah, let's uh, say where you were 2018, but visualized value has zero followers and zero anything so far. Okay. I'm thinking through uh, a few different, a few different things. Like the thing that I think has that I wouldn't change is that the ideas that I picked out to begin with sort of transcend uh, any given like trend at the time, right? Like eighty percent of the stuff that gets produced is like an idea that's gonna be useful to you if you're in like. I don't know if you're if you make socks for a living or if you're like a high frequency trader like the I think the philosophical component of it has been like grounding for me personally like I haven't had to chase um, these trends but also like when they come along I can like try and understand them and put them through that filter I think one of the things that in hindsight, maybe I would have done differently is um, done less collaboration stuff or been less distracted by the collaboration angle to begin with. Like when I found traction early on, um, the, the compounding nature of like the inquiries you get over time is really significant. So like once you found product market fit, in inverted commas from like a content perspective it's almost like a recipe or a formula where the you know the size of the audience really brings different opportunity to you so like holding out for um partners that are far more aligned with what we're doing and like at a similar stage in the journey to us um the the I think one of the catalysts for visualized value in hindsight was COVID. So uh, that was like a really strange moment in time where people were spending 12, 14, 16 hours a day on their computer mm-hmm. and not traveling, not going to events, like not meeting people. And one of the things that sort of came out of that was the the feedback that I got basically a year later was, everyone's feed was 90% just like doom world is ending. Like this is like 
COVID is, has changed everything forever. Like the world's never going back to where it was. And the only positive messaging they were getting on their feed every day was visualized value, which in hindsight, I, I was just so focused on it. I wasn't reading any news or doing like getting distracted by any of that stuff. So just paying attention to like, or in every way trying to like do the opposite of what the rest of the feed is talking about is like the, it's a really hard instinct to, and I didn't do it instinctually to begin with. Like it, it was just the fact that I didn't know how to use Twitter and I was just basically like one way communication into Twitter. I didn't like read the feed and over time, I just noticed myself, like the more time I spend consuming stuff on the feed, the less original the output I create is. Like you just sort of another node in the hive mind rather than like this independent thing that's just injecting new stuff. So that using, like getting feedback from what people like is definitely helpful, but minimizing the amount you consume from like the feed if I'd have kept that habit for longer, I think it would have grown even faster. Like me going the web three, like getting sucked into certain things right, right. in time, you could kind of see the plateaus in the brand's growth. And I found the thing that worked and, you know, even when it's painful to do it and like step away from stuff that is uh, going parabolic, like staying like insanely focused on the thing you're good at is. It's hard. Yeah, it's, it's very hard. hard. Every yeah. there's actually, um, I'm sure you boys are uh, familiar with the uh, Michael Saylor uh, general perspective. He did an interview on um, Up Only, and his, mm -hmm. in his last five minutes, he talked about they ask the same. They ask this question like, distill us, like give us a piece of wisdom, blah blah blah, for the ages. Like if you got one thing to say to anyone listening. And he does, he said it way more eloquently than I can ever say. It's just like, like find out what you're good at and just go insanely hard at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. There's going to be someone waking up with more money than you, more energy than you, uh, that wants what you have and they are going to take it from you if you don't stay focused on what you're doing. So facts, master it, of one, never master of none. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and on the internet, it's so, remarkable how like how narrow you can go and like make a living doing that so yeah visualized values like literally the rules haven't changed for three years and even when i get distracted from it um thankfully the rules make it easy to go back and just continue um so the format thing is something i always say to people is like if you can find a format that like comes naturally to you and makes it possible for you to like continually put your perspective out there whether that's like speaking writing designing whatever it might be like un don't underestimate like the advantage that that gives you because you just build like what you're doing right now you're not going to see the rewards for a year six months right. 18 right. months like all of these brands that everybody is um some of the brands that we reference on this call, it's like they were doing shit for years and years and years oh, yeah. before anybody knew who they were. And you think that what you're doing today is the result you're generating today, but obviously it's not how it works, right? It's like six months right. time, you're going to reap the, the only reason that NFT sold for 33 ETH on the first day I minted it is because I was doing shit for two and a half years, right. not knowing what an NFT was before. So it's kind of a half trust the process, but half like, identify what you're good at and just go absolutely insane at it. Um, but tactically, I think I wouldn't change a great deal because if we're back in that situation and I was the first person to kind of identify this little tweak in execution that really, um, it was a huge arbitrage opportunity in attention because nobody else was doing this thing. And it wasn't a huge departure from yeah, there were people like visualizing ideas as people uh, graphic, there's thousands, millions of graphic designers like posting their work on, on uh, social networks. But I think finding that the, the crazy thing about the internet is like, you have to kind of identify a formula 
and go after it. Um, and that's like, once you get that, then you kind of, you're repeating the process, just introducing yourself to new people over and over and over again, right? The network expands with time. Um, and I think the timeless component is really helpful for that rather than, you know, right. kind of pacing the news cycle. Um, yeah. It was a rambling long answer, but hopefully. No, no, it was good. It was good. That Find was great. something you're good at and go hard. I like yeah. it. That's, I, that's I, thoroughly, I thoughtly enjoyed that ramble. So no. All right, good. All right. Uh, well, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's all we yeah, got. Yeah, I think we're good. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Obviously, you know, I think people, you know, know where to find you. Visualize Value, Jack Butcher on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. We'll put links in the description for everybody. Thanks so much for coming on, man. This was great. My pleasure, boys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry I was late at the start there. No, no you're problem. No worries, man. Great chat, Jack, and thanks for coming on, bro.